When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. all you heroes and champions, crows, pirates, and inquisitors. Welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast. I'm Shelby. And I'm Austin. And we are so excited to bring you this podcast. Every episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Dragon Age universe. From the Maker to Lyrium to Aravels, we will cover it all. There will be spoilers. And always remember, swooping is bad. Hey, Shelby. Hey, Austin. How's it going? Well, you know, just playing Dragon Age all day long. Yeah. Are you ready to talk about some Dragon Age? (laughs) Always. That's good. All right. So before we get into our topic, I just have to ask, how's your playthrough doing? Um, Well... I just finished Witch Hunt for the first time. Um, I used my current Origins playthrough where I romanced Morgan as an elf mage. And um, so that was really fun. I have never done Witch Hunt before. And uh, I'm really, really glad that I saved it uh, to use on a playthrough where I romanced her because I just think that it really made that better. So it was good. Oh, that is good. What about yours? Uh, well, I have just finished Origins and has moved on to Dragon Age 2, but will likely take a break for a short while. But Why we'll get taking... back into it. Why are you taking because, a break? Because Assassin's Creed is making a new update. Well, that's no. Dragon Age only. <laughs> no, not going to do that. <laughs> anyway, so... Our topic today is we're kind of shifting gears. We've kind of been talking about broad overview topics about different belief systems in Thetis or other history moments like the elven history, the old gods. And so we're kind of shifting focus just a little bit and getting a little more closer, more zeroed in on topics. And we're going to do a quick series on the countries of Thetis. So each country will get its own episode. Some of the smaller ones might be in one episode. We'll have to see how much information we have about each one of them. So, Shelby, why don't you tell us what country are we getting to first? Yes. So, today we are talking about the Tevinter Imperium. And we're starting with Tevinter because Tevinter is the oldest human nation in Thetis. Right, right. And so we hear a lot about Tevinter. We, if I remember from the books, we get a lot of book time in Tevinter, but there is very little game time in Tevinter. I don't know. I'd have to look through it when I play through it again, but I think the legacy... DLC might take place in Tevinter, but I'm not sure. So there's not, it's something we know about, but we've never really experienced firsthand. 
Well, we haven't experienced it yet. I mean, Correct. it's 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 pretty confirmed that DA4 will have at least some, if not most of the time um, in the game spent in Tevinter. So it's just a matter of time. But I think you're right that the majority of the time we have spent in Tevinter is in uh, books or comics, not, I don't think we've gone to Deventer in any of the games. So I'm really excited to dig into this topic today. Right, all right. So Tevinter is the oldest uh, human nation and really kind of like what sources do we have outside of the codex? Like I would think obviously Dorian is one of our sources because He's one of the first people from Tevinter that we've ever been able to have a conversation with. Yeah. Most so, of the time it's like, here's these Tevinter slavers and mm-hmm. or other things like that. Yeah, no, you're right. I think Dorian's conversations, um, a, a good chunk of some of this information comes from him. Um, a good chunk of it comes from in-game, other resources, Codex, obviously. A good big chunk comes from the Tevinter Knights book. And I think the Tevinter Knights book, it came out, I think, in November of last year of 2020. Um, and that book is, I really enjoy it. If you haven't read it, I really recommend it. I know I say that every episode, but it really gives us so much more information and backstory um, and just like a real glimpse into what Tevinter and its culture is actually like. Um, not just, you know, the typical or even stereotypical image that we've gotten throughout the other games and books where, you know, it's just, oh, Tevinter is rampant evil, rampant blood magic, everyone's evil, blood, you know, is in li- lining the sewers and the streets and all this kind of stuff. Um, of course, there is some of that kind of, of evil and there is blood magic there, but that's not the whole of Tevinter. Um, and so Tevinter Nights really gives us a more of a look into what the culture and what the country is really like. Right. And so I guess one of the first questions that I always have is like, what is the difference between the Tevinter we know today and like, is it still called the Tevinter Imperium? Like, what is the difference between if you just said Tevinter or Tevin or the Tevinter Imperium? Yeah, well, I think the name of it is still the Tevinter Imperium. Like, that's the official name. Um, And I think, I would say that, like, a lot of the Magisters want to pretend like Tevinter is still this same great nation, this same great empire that it once was. But in reality, that's just just not true. Um, You can see that, number one, from the the amount of land that they've lost the amount of colonies that they've lost that they had once conquered um but even more so the canari continue um to maintain and, and even gain a bigger stronghold into uh the mainland even of tevinter so i i think they're really obviously a weakening nation uh but we we've yet to see what what will happen in the future so all right, well, let's dive in. So what is it like in the country of Tevinter? Yes, so I I think Tevinter is very much a place that is obsessed 
with its image. And I think that you can say the same thing about other nations in Thetis, especially Orle. But I think Taventer takes it to an extreme degree. Um, and like they, everything they do is to make themselves look good. And I don't just mean like look stylish or fashionable. I mean like to make themselves look like the best. Like they have to be the best mages. They have to have the best chantry. Of course, fashion and um, style is, is part of it, but it's, it's everything. Like they are the best government. They have uh, the best cities. They have the best everything. And so they want very much want to be perceived in the way that they want others to perceive them. Like they want to control their image. And so I think that that's something that they're very obsessed with and infects just every aspect um, of their culture generally. Um, and so of course, of course, they're obsessed with their image to the detriment of the lower classes, of the poor, of the slaves. Um, so I think that this obsession with image and status and wealth is also coupled with an extreme caste system. So I think that's a big part, if not the majority, of their culture. Right, right. So... I wanted to start a little bit with the history of Taventer and just kind of give um, a timeline and overview of like how the Imperium came to be because it is the oldest human nation. So unless you have any questions, I'm just going to jump into that. Um, no, not really. I'll have okay. some for later. Okay, cool. So Taventer is a mageocracy ruled by powerful mages. Um, who are called magisters. Now, not every mage is a magister, but every magister is a mage. Now, the ultimate leader of Taventer is the Imperial Archon. And um, the Archon is like the mage of all mages. And like I said a minute ago, there's very much a rank and caste system in Taventer. So I wanted to kind of break down those categories a little bit. So the highest category, the upper class, is the Altus class. Dorian is part of this class. Um, Altus mages are said to be descendants of the dreamers or the magisters who spoke to the old gods in the Fade. Even though the old gods are not widely worshipped anymore, the descendants of these powerful mages are still held in high esteem, and they're some of the highest ranking mages in the magisterium. Um, the majority of magisters belong to the Altus class. Um, and there was a time soon after the first blight that this class was very scorned and looked down upon for their role in creating the blight. Um, so a lot of Altus mages during those first few blights were uh, murdered or assassinated, um, especially during the period in which the Imperium became um, followers of Andraste. But since then, Altus mages have returned to the top of the social classes. So the second highest social class is the Laytans, 
And these are mages who are born into families that have not shown any magical ability until this point. Or they are families who have been mages for generations, but have just never been part of the Altus class. So about one-third of Taventer Archons, which is like their number one leader throughout history, have been from the Leighton class. Um, so they are a significantly smaller group than the Altus class. And I think this really shows the hierarchy. Like, oh, you can, if you're not, if you're not a mage or not part of a magic family, you can become part of this um, Leighton class. You can ascend and become part of the Magisterium, but like you're never going to get to the top because you weren't born into the right family. I think that that's very indicative of Taventer culture. Hmm. But then the third class um, are the Soparati, and this is basically everybody else, like all citizens of the Imperium who don't have magic. And they are very, very looked down upon. Um, this class is mainly human, but they are allowed to own property and serve in the military, but they don't have any real power in the nation's governance, and they can't receive a rank higher than a mother or a father in the Chantry. However, when a Soparati family produces a child with magic, they are allowed entry to the Leighton class, and so then therefore they can ascend um, the caste. And of course, there's a lot of tension between these three classes, especially I would say between the Soparati and the Altus, um, since they can, you know, they can ascend to the Leighton class, but there's just a lot of tension in this system. And then I would be remiss if I left out the Liberati class, which is not really a class, it's more of a subclass. Um, but the Liberati class are uh, basically emancipated slaves. They're not considered citizens. They have very limited rights. They can own property, but they can't um, join the military. They can't, uh, they have no power in the government, um, anything at all. They are sometimes allowed to join the Circle of Magi if they are, um, if they show magic, but they're still looked down upon because this class is mostly made up of elves. So they're still very, very looked down upon um, in the society. So that's a little bit about how the society is made up. I know I got off topic a little bit um, from the timeline, but that's kind of important in just establishing how Taventer runs itself. It kind of reminds me of the world that, you know, the pureblood extremists in Harry Potter want to create. Yes, yeah. Yeah, it's very similar. Very similar to that. Yeah. All okay. right, well, let's get into some timeline because we know that, I mean, Taventer's around with Andraste. So yes. what's that? Like, let's get into, like, when this begins and what's going on. Sure. So I'm going to go way back before Andraste even. So Taventer is easily the oldest human nation, um, but... They're not just the oldest human nation. They also trace their lineage back to the first humans in Thetis. So humans come to Thetis around minus 3100 ancient, and they belonged to a single tribe. And this tribe is the Neuromenians. And um, during this time, the Neuromenian tribe settled on the coast up there where Taventer is now 
Um, and they had lots of skirmishes with the elves of Elvenon. So about minus 2800, the old gods begin whispering to humanity from the Golden City. These old gods supposedly taught the Neromenians um, magic. So those mages, those first mages, are said to be the ones that become the priests and the leaders of the Neromenian tribe. So throughout the next quite a few centuries, the descendants of this tribe split into four different tribes. Um, so in, in minus 1700 ancient, they separate into four different kingdoms. And that's the Neromenian kingdom. Corinus, which is actually now a city in Tevinter, Tevinter, and Berendur. Um, so that's four separate mm. kingdoms or tribes that these first original humans split into. Um, I just want to interject just a quick question mm-hmm. about, so it says that the old gods taught them magic. Now, this I think this is a really interesting point because in the games and in the books, we're presented with magic as something that someone is born with. Yes. And so, like, is there this idea in Tevinter that you could learn magic even if you don't already show a gift for it? Like, what... So, or is there a disconnect where they say they rank the system based on if you're born into magic, but they hold this... In their history, they say they were taught magic. Well, I think they would say, no, you can't be taught magic um, because it's only this first generation that's taught magic. And so then it becomes genetic. It passes through the bloodline. And the bloodline is so important for people in Tevinter. And that's why I think the Altus are so obsessed with their bloodline because they trace their lineage through this first generation of people that were taught magic directly from the old gods. So I think you're right in that it is a little bit of a disconnect, um, that it doesn't totally, it doesn't totally make sense logically. Um, since, Oh, you're tracing your, your ancestry through this person that was taught, magic but you're saying nobody else can be taught magic um so i think there is a little bit of a disconnect there and so you're right 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 all right well let's keep going so we have the four kingdoms yes the four kingdoms so in minus 1595 ancient which is a little bit over a hundred years after they split thalcian one of the first magisters claimed to have contacted Dumat, of course, it's an old god, to learn blood magic, which he then used to declare himself the ruler of the empire. So he also established temples that worship dragons and is really the one that solidified mages as the ruling class. And his students established many of the noble houses in Tevinter that existed into modern day. So Thalsian really establishes the customs and systems of Tevinter, most of which still exist today. So he's a super important guy. Um, and in minus 1207 ancient, Derinius, the high king of the Neromenian, took the Tevinter throne. 
So that unites Taventer and the Neromenian tribe. So two of the four tribes have been united. So Quirinus and Berendur are still standing independent for now. Durinius was the first human to establish a successful allyship with the dwarves of Kalsharak. He even went into the deep roads um, in minus 1200 ancient and met with dwarven King Indran Stonehammer, which I thought was really interesting. Right, yeah. So in minus 1195 ancient, the Taventer Imperium was officially formed when the kingdom of Quirinus joined the Taventer and the Neromenian join. So they view this as year zero on their calendar. The Taventer Imperium, they have their own calendar. So this joining of the three is their year zero. So at this point, Durinius declares him the first imperial archon. And of course he declares himself that. Right. Okay, so we have to talk about in talking about Taventer, we have to talk about the conflict with the elves because that that is so much of elven history just as much as it is part of Taventer history and um i don't think it's fair to talk about how Taventer became this imperium without talking about the elven slave labor that it's that its empire is built upon so conflict with Elvenon. Um, like we talked about in previous episodes, the humans and elves had had, you know, interaction for centuries until the elves realized that it's their contact with the humans that caused them to lose their pseudo-immortality and then they just pulled back entirely. Um, so they ceased all contact and all of the humans that were sent to make contact with the elves in the Arlathan forest, they either disappeared or um, they turned up dead. And so Taventer, of course, um, takes this as uh, an instigation of war. Um, so the, the Imperium declares war in minus 981 ancient, and they march into Arlatham Forest, and they fight for six years. And they don't win in those six years. They're not even pulling ahead. They're not doing anything. The elves are, are probably going to win. But what happens is Archon Thalcian and the other magisters, they use blood magic to sink the city into the ground. We've talked about this in other episodes. Um... So all of the elven survivors of this incident, not all, but most of them were enslaved. There is a subsection of elves that escapes into the deep roads, but elven survivors that stayed above ground um, were right. enslaved by Taventer. So Elvenon, Arlathon, it falls, and um, Taventer takes, I, I have no idea what the numbers would be, but tons of slaves to Taventer into their kingdom enslaves them and and that's really what their growth is built upon is slave labor um, elven slave labor and so Taventer really transitions into this time of prosperity and this time of rapid growth because of these elven slaves that they've taken 
So I have a question. Sorry. Mm-hmm. I have a question about kind of timeline thing going on here. Yeah. So the quickening or whatever, this happens after the elven gods have been tricked by Fen Harel yes. and left. Whether we believe Solus and that they were mages ruling over, but this is after that. Yes, supposedly. Supposedly. Okay. Is that your only question? Yeah, that's just my question. I just wanted to get my timeline straight because of, you know, conquering, you know, Elvenon and all of that. Yeah, there's a lot of conquering that happens. And it, we talked, I think we talked about this in our one of our first episodes, but the reason why we think um, the the Solas had already done his little trickeroo is because is because the city falls um, to Taventer. And so it's like, well, this wouldn't have happened if the Forgotten Ones had, or if, if the Evanuris had been here. Um, so history says that they had already, you know, been gone by that point in time. Mm-hmm. That, does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, yes. So it's, again, we have these kind of strains that are going, like the elf belief that the quickening happens because the elven gods leave but then kind of in this Taventer history the elves pull back thinking that the contact with humans is what is losing their immortality right right and so at this point the Taventer Imperium is still just those three kingdoms that have united they're now of course one kingdom that's united but they're still one kingdom um, Baron Durr, which is is not joined them yet. And the reason why is because they just kind of disappeared. Um, they never join up with Taventer. They never are the fourth tribe that joins uh, because they just disappeared. Um, and they're lost. They're lost forever. We don't know why. There are theories out there, but we don't have a confirmation of, of what happened to them. So the Taventer Imperium is... The three tribes, um, Neromenian, Corinus, and Taventer combined. All right. Yeah. So, like I said, the elves, the conquering of Elvenon and taking the elves as slaves really, uh, really catapulted um, Taventer into... A time of prosperity but this prosperity was not to last forever because they soon entered into a time of civil war which was triggered by the archon of that point archon um almadrius i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing that right but he he began a period of civil war because he chose as his apprentice tedarion and tedarion was a lowborn mage and the magisterium was outraged that the archon would choose someone of such low society um, instead of one of them to be his apprentice. So, um, Alondrius was assassinated uh, by the other magisters in about minus 692 ancient. And this civil war lasts for like 75 years. It's a long time. And um, fun fact about Tedarion, we can get 
a blade that he fought with oh, yeah. in Dragon Age Inquisition. Yeah. So it's actually the best blade for the Knight Enchanter build, um, which is fun. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's the kind of like magic blade, great sword thing you can get, right? Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah, it's a good one. So, yeah, the Magisters hated him so much, which is so interesting to me. Um but it just really highlights to me, like, Taventer has always been this way. You know, they've always been obsessed with their cla- caste system. They've always been classist. They've always been <laughs> racist against the elves. Um, and that hasn't really changed, you know, for thousands of years. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, and I think that's a really big part of who they are as a society. And, of course, like the other nations enslaved elves too and definitely still look down on them but i think Taventer just takes that to such a more extreme degree yeah de- definitely um, yeah but anyway so the civil war um it finally ends in minus 620 ancient when the archon of that time who was a former high priest of dumat admitted the Leitens into the temples and gave them three seats in the magisterium. And so that really transitions us into a more modern um, view of Taventer because the Leitens have like, I don't know how many seats total are in the magisterium, but I think it's about a third. Um, They have a third of the seats now. So that gives us a little bit more info into how Taventer got this way. Yeah. Um, one thing that I just noticed right off the bat, um, mm-hmm. Taventer and the Roman Empire are very, very similar histories, similar ideologies. I mean, even down to the fact that a lot of their words sound Latin. Um, yeah, well, and even America, I think. Yeah. People talk all the time about how the United States is... So, so similar to Rome, and I definitely see so much of us um, in the Taventer Imperium. Right, too. and this whole civil war, I mean, with us, uh, right. with uh, Almadiris and all of this thing, like that's Julius Caesar right there. Um, yeah, 100%. they, they, the magistrates assassinate him, or the Senate people, they assassinate Julius Caesar because he's loved by the people, and he holds power over the people, and it's just kind of yeah a similar thing going on here and it's just interesting the parallels that Bioware is getting in here and it'll be interesting to see the architecture choices they choose for Taventer. Yes, I'm really excited to see more and just get more about Taventer um, in DA4. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I just wanted to transition us a little bit I do have one more question. Into... Oh yeah, go ahead. So the blight like yes. when does it's when bad. does it happen like i like well which one i know there's a bunch. i'm talking i know we talked about this a little bit but just kind of from the taventer side like is it after all this civil war and everything happens and yes you know it is. like yeah it because it's like it the first blight starts like minus 200 something ancient so the Civil War is like 400 years before that. Um, 
So for for Taventer history, the Blights are relatively modern history. Right, definitely. Okay, so. All right. And so, and it's so interesting because we're introduced into this world where for Orlais and for Reldon and even Kirkwall, the free marches and all that, it's kind of this established thing that the Chantry is like, there hasn't been a world without the Chantry, but Taventer history is completely opposite. Yeah, is right. Like I mean, and you get a little bit of that when you interact with the Dalish or in Origins when you go to mm-hmm. Orzammar and, you know, there's the guy who, brother, what's his name? Who wants to start? Brother Burkle. Brother Burkle, who wants to start the Chantry um, and the shape meth. I don't know why I know yeah. that. And the shape, well, I'm glad you do know it. It's your job for this podcast. Um, and so Brother Burkle wants to start it in the shape master shaper or the leader of the shaper. It's like, why would we do this? Like this comes in whatever. And so I think he says you would bring a human God here. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, um, and so it's just interesting. This parallel that exists with Tevinter has this whole established religion and like, for Weldon and Orlay very much come into power because of Andraste. Their kingdoms and empires are set up because of the Chantry in almost a way. Whereas Tevinter is kind of the well, opposite be- of that. Yeah, I agree to an extent. I mean, because you have to think about, of course there are the elves, but you have to think about the Avar and the Alamari, right? Like they exist as pretty powerful tribes and the Syrian too, more in Orlay. Um, so I wouldn't want to discount like these, these tribal societies, but Andraste is a member of these tribal, at least one of these tribal right. groups with, with connections to the others. So I, I do think that, that she has a, a big role in that as well. So um, to an extent, I agree right. with you. And it's, we can kind of talk about like the kind of Christian history things that we're doing here with, because so if you look at Orlay, Christian, yeah. History? So if you look at Orlay and Ferelden, the Chantry comes up in this idea of, as you said, Andraste was part of the Alamari or the Alamar, Alamari. Alamari. And so it's a religion that kind of comes up of a person who uh, is of its own, just like kind of like when Christianity starts in Africa and the middle and the rest of the Middle East or the more Eastern parts of the Roman Empire. It's coming up from people who were one of them. And then you have Tevinter who kind of adopts Androstianism later when she's killed, you know, when Argon Hesser And totally changes and it. And changes it and makes it its own. And Rome yeah. does the same thing with Christianity. That's a really good point. I hadn't thought about it right. that way. And so you have this under... Because I feel like you can talk about... You can't talk about the history of Thetis, the Thetis at least that we know it, without talking about how the Chantry and Andraste evolve into that Thetis. Yeah, you're totally right. And that's my next point um, about Tevinter is about Tevinter and the Chantry. Because Androstianism does come to Tevinter. Um, Archon Hesarian 
is the one who conspires with Maferath, right, um, to to kill her, to kill Andraste. And so what was going to happen is he was going to burn her at the stake. All these people were there, whatever. But, like, as she's being lit on fire alive, he has mercy overcome him and so um he doesn't let her die by flame he instead stabs her and kills her um and gives her a quick death and like we said i think in our andraste episode this is seen as his conversion a little bit retrospectively but after this to venture uh, they they convert to the chantry um they convert to andrastianism and so I think it's a combination of both the the reaction against the blights um, and the old gods, of course, uh, being connected to that, and Hesarian's experience with Andraste. I think it's both of those things which really lead um, to their conversion as as a nation. Yeah, but but they change it. You're right. They change so much about it um they they have revered fathers instead of revered mothers i'm sure they have a divine i think dorian calls it the black divine right um and he's a man he's a man but the key point that they change is not really any of that stuff that's that's more um i don't want to say frivolous but it's just not it's not the deep theological parts about the chantry what really is the biggest change they make theologically is their interpretation of the chant of light's commandment that says magic exists to serve man and to never rule over him almost every other country in thetis interprets this as pretty black and white magic cannot control us we control magic at all points in time. The only country that really interprets it a little bit differently is Ravain. And that's because Ravain doesn't really have, like, they're not really following the chantry. Of course, they have chantries, but they are very much a, um, a, a, a mixed society. Um, they have a lot of Kunari beliefs, they have a lot of indigenous beliefs, and they have the Chantry. So they're the only exception, but every other um, country in Thetis really follows this teaching of the Chantry that magic exists to serve man and not rule over, rule over him, except for Tevinter. And Tevinter interprets this as okay well magic just is supposed to serve the greater good it doesn't matter how it's just that magic is supposed to serve the greater good for our community um so that's a really distinct difference from the way the rest of thetis interprets that line in the chant of light and it makes sense because it it totally makes sense that they would interpret that because if they were to interpret that in the way the rest of thetis would have to do that they would have to change their entire system of government right and they of course they're not going to do that because that's not how people work no, they're going to interpret it they're going to take the easiest yeah, route they're going to interpret it in a way that's you know fits their worldview which is in some ways yeah. is fine and we talk about like there are multiple ways to interpret a religion based on the culture and context 
you come from, but at the same time, there's that fine line you can interpret in Moon, but you can't make it say something that it's not. And I think that right. in a lot of times when we study you know, religions and everything, we talk about the context in which a text is written. And I don't think that the context would warrant Tevinter's interpretation, given that Andraste was a Tevinter slave. That's fair. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I do think it's a little bit of proof texting on Tevinter's part. Like, but of course they would read it the way that they want to read it because it's what makes them comfortable. And nine times out of ten, as humans, as people, we're looking to make our lives the most comfortable that we can make them. Whether or not that's the right thing or whether or not that's the the best thing to do or the thing that we should do that's what we're going to do nine times out of ten right right I mean that's just kind of how it is and so yeah I don't think we can leave to Venter talking about it quite yet without talking about you know to Venter has an idea that's very different than the rest of Thetis and it has to do with things that we learn in Dorian's story. And we don't really, I guess we don't, to be fair, we don't learn that it's like a Tevinter belief. It might just be a Dorian belief, Dorian's family belief. Mm-hmm. But like part of Dorian's story is that his family is not okay with his sexual identity. So what is going on with that in Tevinter? Like, is that a Tevinter thing? Is that just a Dorian thing? Because... You know, we don't, we see all kinds of Chantry people have open sexuality. I mean, Liliana herself is bisexual, can be romanced by either a male or a a woman, a man or a woman. And she is a sister of the Chantry and even comes up to the left hand of the divine. So it's not really a Chantry teaching that is teaching kind of like Dorian's issues with his family. So what is going on with that? Right. Okay. So my interpretation is that this very much comes from Tevinter's focus on bloodlines. So I said earlier, Tevinter's ultimate focus is on their image, right? And this ties into that. Like their ultimate focus is on their image as very powerful mages. So, you know, the everyday family in Tevinter, they want their children to be mages. And this is especially important for the people who are magisters, for the people who are part of the Altus class, and even the Layton class. Um, But they want their children to be powerful mages so that they can maintain their status. And so for a person who's a member of the LGBTQ plus community, in Dragon Age, especially in Tevinter, that would be seen as forsaking your commitment to your family because you can't have biological children with the person that you love, right? That's how they would see that. So I think Dorian's dad, I can't remember his name, but he very much sees Dorian wanting to be wanting to be married to a man as forsaking his duty to his family, which is not okay in any of my viewpoints or of Dorian's viewpoints. 
but that's that's like the Taventer idea. That's how they view um, people who are LGBT plus. And I, I would even go so far as to guess they would have even greater hostilities towards somebody like Liliana, like you said, who's bi, because if they end up with a woman, that's even worse because then you had the choice, right? That's like you could have been with a man or a woman, but you chose to be with a woman. So you're like doubly forsaking your duty to your family, which is a terrible way to look at bisexuality. But I think that that's how the people of Taventer would look at it. And normally, like, in these games, a lot of times in video games, just because how they're designed, this sexuality isn't, like, a big deal. It's just a different worldview where things are accepted and it's not the world that we live in. But I think we need to talk about an interventor because it's so crucial to Dorian's story himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and I, I, I think it's important also to talk about because... It's not a huge deal in the rest of Thetis. There's a codex entry that you can pick up. It's it's somewhere in Orlay in Dragon Age Inquisition. I think, do not quote me on this, I think it is in the Emerald Graves when you're searching one of those abandoned houses in Orlay. Um, you can pick up a codex entry, and it's about same-sex relationships in Thetis. And especially in Morlay. And it talks about, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It's not really looked down upon. It's not something we talk about. It's just, it is what it is. Um, and, and you see this really play out in, um, in Orlay with Empress Celine, right? Like, she is a woman who loves another woman. She loves Briala. And the reason why it's a big deal is not because it's a same-sex relationship. The reason why it's a big deal is it's because it's the empress with an elf. It has, there's nothing that talks about, oh my gosh, it's two women. It's all about it being the empress with an elven servant. So I think in the rest of Thetis, same-sex relationships aren't a big deal. It's specifically in Taventer because they're so focused on their bloodline, on their descendants, and on passing along the magic gene. Right. And I mean, even the Kuhn, which we could argue is probably one of the most strict groups in Thetis, like the Kunari and Parvalin with the Kuhn, they don't even have a problem with it. Well, I don't know if we can say right. that. Um, well, I mean, I... Because I don't I know, think Bull, if they did, right. I don't think Bull would be in the position that he is in. That's true. That's true. I just think, I don't, I don't know if we can say either way. Because the really, the only two major Kunari characters that we get to have a real dialogue with are Sten and Iron Bull. And maybe you can throw in the air shock in there, but you don't really have just like free conversations with him. So, obviously... Iron Bull is also bisexual and if excuse me if the the Inquisitor doesn't romance either Iron Bull or Dorian they get together in the game right but at the same time in conversations with Sten Sten will be like then there's a specific conversation that happens um, with Sten and a female warden where he says 
aren't you a girl basically and you're like what are you, what are you talking about and he's like yeah girls can't be warriors you can't why do you want to be a fighter why do you or do you want to be a man and you're just like what are you what are you freaking talking about and it really illustrates like they they have strict gender roles um under the cune so i'm not really sure right if we know the full extent of, you know, what they believe about, you know, same-sex relationships other than they don't really have relationships because they just... It's just a totally different worldview. So I don't know if it's comparable. You know It's what I also mean? a point, you know, I think it was either David Gator or someone uh, else who admitted that when they made Dragon Age Origins... They really didn't have the Canari fully fleshed out. They didn't really know what they wanted to do with them. Yeah, that yeah, it, that's true mm-hmm. too. So I, it, there probably will be some disconnect between conversations with future Canari, Iron Bull, and St- especially with Sten because Sten was built in a different where the Canari weren't really fleshed out in a way that they are now. That's true. But anyway, uh, I think this is a good transition point to take a break and to come back and talk to our character because yeah, uh, our character is very much a very interesting one and it is not really, it's not someone we can meet in the games. And so I think that's really interesting. And so, yeah, let's take a break and then we'll come back with our character. Sounds great. All right, welcome back from the break. Uh, we've got a really great character for you today. So Shelby, who are we talking about? We are talking about Mavaris Talani. Mavaris is, you said earlier that we can't meet her in the games, which is technically true. Although we can meet her in some of the side quests in the War Table missions in Dragon Age Inquisition. There is, I think the first one is called the Taventer Resistance against Corypheus and the Venatori. And so that's really how we meet her. She's in charge of the Taventer Resistance. Um, but let me get into her history before we talk about that. So Mavaris, um, okay, so Mavaris is a Taventer Magister. And she is recognized by the Imperial Senate. And she's also the widow of Varric Tetris's cousin Thorold. So, she's connected in two ways. She appears in DAI, like I just mentioned. And she also has a major role in several comics. Specifically, Those Who Speak and Until We Sleep. And she's also in Tevinter Nights. So, Mavaris was born to Magister Athanir Talani, which is her father, and Mavaris is a trans woman, and she's been living openly since 15, which caused a huge scandal in Taventer. And this goes back into our previous conversation about LGBT issues in Thetis, in Taventer specifically. So, her living her authentic life causes a huge scandal in Taventer and her dad her father actually supports her um, unlike Dorian's father Hmm. and so he supports her and really the other magisters really look at her father as this guy who he's too well connected he's too middle of the road 
he's too likable um, to really be driven out of the Senate. Um, so they don't they don't decide they don't kick him out of the Senate at all or anything. But it's still a huge controversy, um, which is unfortunate for Mavaris. But her dad was a kind and a gentle man. But he was often used by his allies in the magisterium. Ultimately, he was arrested and executed by Imperial Templars in 932 Dragon. And Mavaris was convinced that this was the result of her father becoming involved in a scheme that was plotted by other magisters. And so they very much blamed him and got away for, got away from it. Um, we don't really know what this scheme is, but that's kind of the background situation. So Mavaris, when he dies, she plots quietly. She takes a long time. Um, but she takes down the magisters. They got her father killed. And so this really establishes her as someone who is not going to let people walk all over her. She is a force to be reckoned with. And the magisters, unfortunately, <laughs> realize that too late at their own detriment. Um, and that does make her, her own enemies. Like, there are a lot of people that don't like Mavaris enough that... Her inheritance of her father's seat in the magisterium was even called into question because of her unwillingness to work with her enemies and also because of her identity as a trans woman. Mm. So she definitely has her enemies, um, which is unfair, I think, but that's kind of the way Tevinter goes, right? Right. So, Mavaris is, like I said, the leader of this resistance and her and Dorian are also the creators of a group called the Lucerne and this is a group that wants to restore and redeem Tevinter which is why I love her and I think that she's going to be really important in future stories because her and Dorian are really this pair this duo that are trying to change Tevinter for the better um, she also she also shows up in a couple comics um, which are called Until We Sleep and the other one which is uh, Those Who Speak but in Until We Sleep she's been wrongly imprisoned and she's rescued by King Alistair, Isabella, and Varric so that's a really big plot line that she shows up in but what I really wanted to spend a couple more minutes on is the Lucerne group that her and Dorian start. Um, they, like I said, are trying to redeem Tevinter. They're trying to restore Tevinter, not to the glory of the old Imperium, but restore Tevinter to their true ideals. Um, and they also have a focus on freeing slaves along the way. So... This is a really good group, a group of really good Tevinters, and I know that they um, have some of these stories in the Tevinter Knights book, and so um, it's just, it's a really good story. You should read that book if you haven't. Yeah, it's on my list. I know I keep saying that. I know. <laughs> but yeah, so that's a little bit about Mavaris. 
Yeah, um, it's definitely great. I think it'll be interesting. I think you're very right. This is going to be a focus of the next game, especially if that game is into Venter, um, just because Bioware is very notorious for we get this, you know, the plot of, you know, there are several moving pieces and then there's the overarching threat. Like there's the breach, then there's the mage rebellion, there's the civil war in Orlais, and there's all these other things that are going on. In Origins, there's the Blight, but then you have a potential civil war in Ferelden, what's going on with the Dalish, all these overarching things. So I think this rebellion might play a key into where we're going in, into this DA4. Yeah, it's interesting, that's for Mm -hmm. sure. All right, well, I think that's all the time we have for today. Um, Thank you all for listening, and we will see you next week on the Dragon Age Lorecast. Thanks for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. As always, you can find us on Twitter at DA Lorecast. If you have any lore questions, topics to unpack, or side character suggestions, email them to us at dalorecast at gmail.com. The Dragon Age Lorecast is a part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club. You can join the Robots Radio Network Discord by clicking the link in our episode description. If you enjoyed our show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe and give us a review. See you next time. Do you love Dragon Age? Have you always wanted to learn more about its vast world and detailed lore? Are you still attached to your hero of Ferelden, even a decade after Dragon Age Origins came out? Or maybe you're a newer fan, still discovering a new tidbit or quest every day. Well, either way, the Dragon Age Lorecast is the podcast for you. I'm Austin, also known as Teacup. And I'm Shelby, also known as SheCup. And come and join us as we embark on a journey to explore and discover all things Dragon Age. We'll discuss all kinds of topics, from Lyrium to the Chantry and the great mysteries of the old gods, and even more that even you Bioware superfans might not know about. So come and listen on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. And always remember... Swooping.